before we begin our conferences today, I would like to mention to you something that you should not celebrate until tomorrow at one o'clock or when lunch begins. And that is tomorrow's Father Jenkins' 41st anniversary to the priesthood. And uh, usually he kind of avoids lunch at the end of the men's retreat. <clears throat> but I'm sure Mr. Evans can get him there. Uh, if you can, uh, Mrs. Stickles purchasing or making a cake or somebody has asked her to do such and that's a wonderful idea. And then um, someone has basically bought flowers for Mrs. Stickle, which I think they're going to present to her tomorrow at lunch. I presume it's tomorrow at lunch. <clears throat> She's a great lady. I don't ask her to cook for you. She asks me if she can. That's her attitude. She loves doing it. She loves cooking for the men. She won't touch the women's retreat. <laughs> she goes up to New York for that retreat, but she every year wants to be here with you all and service you. Uh, she's a wonderful lady. <clears throat> I'm surprised you didn't have poached pheasant tonight for dinner, were it not Friday. She's a great lady and uh, gives a lot to our church and to our school and to our retreats, and I thank her for that. Uh, As I mentioned to you uh, earlier today, last night or this morning, I got a phone call that a parishioner in Cleveland had passed away. If you remember him in your prayers, uh, perhaps a heart attack or something, they found him in his bed, dead this yesterday evening or today, I don't remember which. <clears throat> but if you please remember him, I know his family would appreciate it. I am offering up my retreat for a dear friend who lost his son about two or three months ago. I'm offering up my retreat for another friend who lost his father less than a month ago. I'm offering the graces I receive. I hope that you will attach some apostolate to your the graces today, whether it be your own personal sanctification or what it may be. Uh, the retreats are a lot of work, and I thank you for that. Every retreat that we give, it helps me helps me to reflect upon what I'm speaking about, what I'm writing, what I research. And uh, we priests haven't had retreats for several years. I consider this our retreat as well. I try to be quiet as much as I can, but I'm here for you. All right. I would like for you to consider today in this conference the frequent thoughts of death, the turning away from God by sin, the souls of Appearance at the tribunal of God and the unhappy life of the sinner. And finally, we're going to turn to the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, his love for us on the cross. Okay. Uh, men who are attracted to this world, they endeavor to banish the thoughts of death from their minds. That explains why there's always this loud music in the background. Why these kids are always listening to loud music. I love music. I listen to it anytime when I'm by myself. But uh, I don't use it as a distraction. I try to use it as a help or an aid to the spiritual life. Most, most of what I listen to is sacred music. The boys got sick of hearing Kitty Cleveland singing when they came to and from the camp with me. I kept putting Kitty Cleveland on, singing Panis Angelicus. 
Pia Yesu, Pia Yesu. They got sick of that, I think, because every time she'd finish that one, I'd push reverse, and she'd sing it again. I'd push reverse, and she'd sing it again. It was so beautiful. Sacred Heart of Jesus is another one. But um, the world, the, the worldly, invite all the distractions so that they can banish the thoughts of death in their minds, thinking that by avoiding the remembrance of death, they could avoid death itself. When, our, when everything is quiet, that's why you're quiet on the retreats, when everything is quiet, the mind naturally refers to its creator. It naturally refers to the reasons for its existence and where it's going. And that's why there's so much distraction out in the world. By banishing the thoughts of death from their minds, they expose themselves to the greater danger of making an evil end. There is no alternative, my dear friends. Sooner or later, you're going to die. We must die. The only thing certain in this country, they say, is taxes and death. Okay, and they make sure they get the taxes in before the death. What is still more, you'll only die once. And if once we be lost, we shall be lost forever. Give thanks to God for this in truth, for this enlightenment. We've already lost too many years. Some of you are older than me. We've lost too many years in offending God. We, are, we now ought to spend the remainder of our lives, short or long as it may be, entirely living in his service. And how can we? Yes, you fathers can too. You have a family. You have to take care of. That's part of your duty to God. Live in his service. Make your retreats. Help around your churches. Help in your schools. Help the sisters. Help whomever you can. Lord, command us what you will, for we desire to please thee in all things. Holy monks who formerly fled the world into the deserts in order to secure for them a happy death, they took nothing. Maybe two things. A spiritual book and a skull, a human skull. You might think that a little bit morbid. I'm trying to think of our... You might think that a little bit macabre. We have a neighbor, McCabe, so I was trying to think of that. We see all about us today kids wearing shirts with skulls on them. The backs of helmets, the backs of shirts. We see it everywhere. I bought some boys some buoy knives for their graduation. I didn't know that there were skulls all over the handles of these buoy knives or else I wouldn't have purchased them. Gave them to them anyway. Okay? By the sight of the skull, which the saints took with them into the desert, they would continually keep before their thoughts the remembrance of their last end. The skull doesn't mean that today on these bikers, their last end, or they wouldn't be riding their bikes. Okay? It means something else. These monks took the skull to remind them that they will be like that someday. They meditated upon it, saying, As the bones of my body one day shall be, and my soul, who knows where it shall dwell. Thus they endeavored to gain not only the goods of this life, but of that life which will never end. That's why they fled into the desert. You can't. You have responsibilities. I know that. I can't flee into the desert. 
A certain hermit, being at the point of death, was observed to smile, and being asked why he was so cheerful, he answered, I have always kept death before my eyes, and hence, now that it has come, death does not alarm me. <clears throat> the approach of death, therefore, is terrible to those only who have thought of nothing but gratifying themselves during their lifetime and have never considered their lifetime. To those, it's terrible. It's not terrible to those who, by frequently thinking upon death, have learned to despise the goods of this life and love nothing but God. Every day, we draw nearer to death. You're a little closer than yesterday. <clears throat> and we've done very little for God who has died for us. Let, us. let us before death really love the Lord our God. He is worthy of infinite love, which we cannot render to him. For the future, let us love and honor God with all of our power, our might, and our strength. St. Augustine and St. Thomas define mortal sin as the turning away from God. That is the turning of one's back upon God. Leaving the Creator for the sake of the Creator. Created. The creature. What purpose would that subject deserve? What punishment would that subject deserve? who, while his king was giving him a command, contemptuously turned his back upon the king and go and transgress his orders. What punishment would he receive? No king would be happy. This is what the sinner does, and this is punished in hell with the pain of loss. That is the loss of God a punishment richly deserved by the sinner who turns his back on God, who in this life turned his back upon his sovereign, his king. We have frequently turned our backs upon God, but we see that God has not yet abandoned us. He approaches us. He invites us to repentance. He offers us pardon. He approaches, he invites, and he offers. Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord, thou hast gone backwards. God complains, and he says, ungrateful soul, thou hast forsaken me. We would never have forsaken him had we not first turned our backs upon him. <clears throat> what distress will these words fill the soul of the sinner when he stands before God, judged by the divine tribunal? For our own miserable gratifications, we have forsaken our God. I look amongst you and I see several fathers. How many times did you try to get your sons to do one thing and they make a terrible mistake in another way? They forsook what you taught them. How frustrated you became. God, in a sense, I don't want to say he becomes frustrated, becomes angered at us when we do the same. Behold, 
If we turn to God as a penitent, he will not reject us. I have died, says our Lord, for the salvation of your souls. Why will you condemn them to eternal death by your sins? The mercy of God in calling the sinners to repentance. You know from the first books of Scripture that our Lord every night, God, in human form, not the human nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of an evening. And after that first sin, God said, Adam, where art thou? He knew what Adam had done. He knew that Adam had betrayed him. And yet he used the same dulcet, sweet voice, Adam, where are you? These are the words of a father going in quest of his lost son. Despite the immense compassion of God, Adam sinned. Adam turns his back upon God, and yet God does not abandon Adam, but follows after Adam and calls him, Where art thou? That's why G.K. Chesterton called God the hound of heaven. He did not mean it in disrespectful terms. What does a hound do? Well, they serve our police for one thing. They hunt hell. They search for people lost, people in distress, people who have committed crimes. God frequently sought us after we offended him. We have forsaken him by our sins, but he does not hesitate to approach us and to call us by many interior lights, to call us by remorse of conscience, to call us by his holy inspirations, all of which were the effects of his compassion and his love upon mankind. How could we so grievously offend God? And how could we be so ungrateful towards him? As a father, when he beholds his son ready to cast himself down from the edge of a cliff, the father presses forward towards his son and with tears in his eyes, endeavors his son to not follow in the destruction. And so God has done so to us. We were already rushing by our sins to thrust ourselves over the cliff into hell, so to speak. And the love of God has held us back. Let us be sensible of the love of God, the love he's shown towards us. <clears throat> if you had to describe the world today, and it's, this just came to my mind, I think it would be it's insensible. doesn't make sense. It's not aware of the great truths. It lies to itself. How many rainbow flags are flying around our country today? It lies to itself, as if everything's okay. We shall not be able to rest satisfied in his forgiveness, but only when we have joined ourselves to him. Having so often deserved to burn in the fires of hell, we now desire to burn the fire of God's holy love which is expressed so beautifully today in the Feast of the Sacred Heart. <clears throat> How can we doubt of receiving his pardon when he offers it to us 
and he's ready to receive us with open arms on our return to him. He'll fall upon us, as did the father of the prodigal son, as did Abraham upon Isaac. It was tearing Abraham up inside to take his son up to Mount Moriah, to have his son carry the wood that's going to be made into an altar of sacrifice. Father, we have the fire, we have the wood. Where is the sacrifice? Can you imagine the grief Adam must have uttered when he said, God will provide? The soul's appearance at the tribunal of God. When criminals are presented before their judges, though they fear and tremble, they yet flatter themselves that either their crimes will not be proved against them, I've got a good lawyer, or that their judge will remit in part the punishment which they have deserved. How crestfallen they are when the full penalty of the law falls upon them. How great will be their horror, will be the horror of the guilty soul, when presented before Jesus Christ, from whom nothing will be hidden. As scripture says, we stand there unclothed before God, who will judge us with most severity. I am the judge, I am the witness, says our Lord. Will God then say, I am thy judge and I am thy witness of all the offenses thou hast committed against me? We're not going to be so proud of that moment. We deserve to hear these words from his holy mouth at the hour of our judgment. But now he's pleased, dear men, that if we repent of our sins, he will no longer remember them. We read in sacred scripture, I will not remember all his iniquities if we repent of them now. And that includes a lot. It doesn't mean just going into the confessional, falling on your knees and saying, I'm sorry. It means that we are truly ready to make a change in our lives. Repentance is efficacious. It is the opinion of the fathers of the church that in the same place in which the soul is separated from the body, it will be judged, and its lot decided for eternal life or eternal death. But should the soul unhappily depart from this body in sin, what will it be able to say to our Lord when Christ reminds it of its abuse of God's mercy? Of the years that he, Christ, and our Lord, the Father, and the Holy Ghost granted it, of the calls by which God invited it, and the many other means which God afforded it to secure its salvation. There's no excuse. There's no arguing. Doesn't matter what, how good of an attorney you have, the answer is going to be the same. We ask the Redeemer who condemns obstinate sinners not to condemn those who love him. And we are sorry for having offended him. We must be that sinner who loves God more than he loves himself, who is sorry above about every evil for having despised God. And we ask God to pardon us before the time comes when he will judge us 
It's too late then. I learned that as a little boy. Me and my brother, we were always into trouble. We were always fighting. We were close of age. We both tried going through the door at the same time, and we broke it. Well, we realized that if we tell Dad before he gets home that we broke the door, our punishment would be much less. He didn't punish us, he just made us pay for it. Okay? But when he found out things that were broken and we knew we broke and didn't tell him, he got a little bit upset at that, those things. It's the same with Almighty God. Let us go to him now and ask pardon and admit our sins before it's time for him to make a judgment. At what hour you think not, the Son of Men will come. When our Lord shall judge us after our death, his wounds will be a terror to us. You see the crucifix behind me. You know we fly almost every weekend. We're always sitting beside, oh, I was once Catholic or a Protestant who says, why do you still have Jesus on the cross? Don't you believe he rose from the dead? Of course we believe he rose from the dead. They just don't understand that we as Catholics treasure those wounds. They were offered for us. I remember Bishop Kelly about 35 years ago on the Schaffhocker farm giving a sermon on the Sacred Heart. He was talking about a woman who had a baby in a crib and the crib caught on fire and the woman reached in to save her child. And in doing so, the foam mattress clung to her arm and kept burning her arm. And so she eventually lost use of the arm, became a ineffective member of her body, withered. And when the little baby grew older, he noticed that his mommy wasn't like the rest of mommies. The other mommies don't have a withered arm. And so he asked her why she had a withered arm. And she said, it's because I love you. He didn't understand at first. But as the years progressed, when he understand, he at first took that, okay, that's great. She loves me. But then as he, the years progressed, the little mind worked in even more detail. How does your arm being withered show your love for me? And she explained to the child, when you were a baby, your crib caught on fire and I reached in to save you and burnt my arm. We value those wounds of our Lord. They are not disgraceful exhibits. They are treasures of the love of the Sacred Heart for us. His wounds when we go before the judgment as a sinner will be a terror to us. They will reproach us for our ingratitude, for the love which he has shown us in suffering and dying for us. But now his wounds encourage us and give us confidence to hope for pardon from him. Who for the love of us, that he may not have to condemn us, suffered himself to be tormented and crucified, like that mother reaching into the crib. We therefore pray to God to help his servants, whom he has redeemed with his precious blood. We are his sheep, and thus we have hope for his pity. We have hope for redemption by his sacred blood, which many of you, if not all of you, will receive tonight in the Blessed Sacrament. Our Lord makes known to us the means by which he may be saved. He strengthens us to fulfill his holy will. 
Let us no longer, gentlemen, abuse his goodness. Let us no longer live at a distance from him. Let us no longer be deprived of his love. There is no peace for the wicked. The sinner always leads an unhappy life. The devil deceives poor sinners by making them believe that if they gratify their sensual desires, if they revenge themselves, or if they take what belongs to another, they will gain satisfaction and they will obtain peace. But no, for the opposite will always be their portion. They constantly be looking over their shoulders. Who's watching me? Who's following me? Who's about to catch me? They will gain satisfaction and obtain peace when they turn from their sins. The soul after sin becomes more and more disquieted, becomes more and more afflicted. Bishop Sheen once was in an airport, many times was in an airport, and this woman came up to him and started griping about the church. He simply asked her one question. How long have you been living in a bad marriage? And she acknowledged it. The sinner is never, disquiet, is never quiet. It's always disquieted and afflicted. The animals alone which are created for the earth, the animals alone can gain contentment from the enjoyment of the earth. But man, you know we were created to enjoy God. We cannot derive satisfaction from any of God's creatures, from all of God's creatures. Man's only source of happiness is God himself. All the delights by which we have offended God now remain but bitterness and sorrow to torment us. We must not only regret the bitterness which they now cause us, but also the displeasure which they have given, which we have given him who has loved us so much. Scripture says the wicked are like a raging sea. The sea never rests. The sea is beautiful. Many of you have seen it. Some of you live by it, perhaps. There's power in that sea. There's power in that water. Those rip currents, those floods, those tsunamis, those hurricanes. The wicked are like a raging sea, which cannot rest. What is a soul in disgrace, in sin, disgrace, with God, but a temptuous sea? always in agitation. You've met these type people. One wave rises and another succeeds. And all waves of pain and anguish they are. No one in the world can have all things according to his will. He who loves God doesn't need all things. He who loves God, when adversity comes, resigns himself to God's blessed will and utters, as did Mary Fiat, be it done unto me, according to God's will. And he thus secures peace in his soul. But how can the sinner, if he is an enemy of God, 
pacify himself by resignation to God's decrees, God's appointments. Sin always brings with it the dread of divine vengeance. The wicked man flees, just like Adam, just like Eve. The wicked man flees when no man pursues. Yes, for his own sins follow him, and by the remorse with which sin preys upon the soul, makes one suffer an anticipated hell. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the request of thy heart. Where does man go in search for contentment? Of contentment. Seek after God, and one will satisfy all the desires of his soul. St. Augustine knew. You've heard me speak in sermons, those of you who are in parishes that I go to that St. Augustine wanted to be the most wicked boy he could be. It was a contest to outdo the others. We see this today in children. The contest of wickedness. Seek the one only good in whom are all other goods. This is the St. Augustine who became the St. Augustine. St. Francis, when he stripped himself of all worldly goods, being still united with God, found in this a heaven, even here upon earth, and could not often enough exclaim, my God, my God and my all. The soul is happy when it leaves all for God. In God, the soul finds all. Our Lord will not abandon us as we've deserved. He offers us pardon and he calls us to his love. Let us return to him overwhelmed with sorrow for the evils we have done. Let us be deeply affected at seeing that even still he loves us after so many, many offenses we have committed against him. In closing, there is an end, my dear man. In closing, I would like to speak to you on the love of Jesus crucified. Our Lord declares that he came upon earth to enkindle a divine love and that he desired nothing else but to see the sacred fire burning in the hearts of all men. I am come to cast fire upon the earth and what will I but that it be enkindled? And in fact, how many happy souls have been inflamed with the thoughts of the crucified Savior, and how many of those people have forsaken all things material to give themselves entirely to the love of God. There is nothing more that Jesus Christ could have done to induce us to love him than to die in the torments of the cross to prove how much he loved us. With good reason did St. Francis of Paula Proclaim, when he contemplated with admiration Jesus crucified, he fell into ecstasy of love. Generally do men live forgetful, and including ourselves, as so loving a God. If the vilest of men, if a slave had done so for us, given his life for us, 
what Jesus Christ has done and suffered for men, how shall we be able to live without loving him? If someone saves your life, firemen do it all the time, policemen, doctors, are we not grateful to them, for them? Who is he that hangs upon the cross? The same that created us, he now dies for us. That cross, those thorns, those nails, they, they speak out. They exclaim when, with a still louder voice, those wounds cry out and they demand our love in return. May I die, said St. Francis of Assisi, for the love of thy love, O Jesus, who has died for the love of my love. It's nice. May I die for the love of thy love, O Jesus, who has died for the love of my love. To make adequate return for the love of God in dying for us would require another God to die for us. It's impossible, of course. It would be but little, it would be nothing were each of us to die a thousand deaths in return for the love of our Lord. But Jesus is satisfied not with our death, but with our giving him our hearts. Tonight we celebrate the Feast of the Sacred Heart, giving yours. Another story Bishop Kelly told 35 years ago was the story of Margaret Mary, where our Lord reached into her chest, pulled out her heart, touched it to his, and put it back into her chest. She felt a burn in her chest from then on, a burning love for Almighty God. For this end, says the apostle, meaning St. Paul, did he die, that he might have the entire dominion of our hearts, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. God bless you, gentlemen. Thank you for your patience these last four conferences. You have the treat of having Father Jenkins back for your next two or three conferences. God love you and God bless you.